Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by the great Eric Kane. And Eric, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I, I did not think when we were going to record this preview for the Iona series after two midweek snoozers uh, against uh, UNC Asheville and, and Tennessee Tech that we were going to have much to talk about. But boy, do we have a lot to talk about because one vol has become the talk of college baseball and not only the talk of college baseball, but I mean, he's even bleeding over into to a little bit of the professional ranks and professional media members are discussing <laughs> Knoxville native Ben Joyce after well, what he did on Wednesday. There's not much going on in the professional ranks right now. Still. So what else are they going to talk about? But no, you're, you're exactly right, man. Ben Joyce was fantastic yesterday and hopefully that continues for Tennessee. Yes, and if if you were living under a rock yesterday, uh, Tennessee took on UNC Asheville. The Vols won 16-1. to It was their second midweek game of the week, and we will discuss the one from Tuesday momentarily. Uh, as, as I was kind of planning for the podcast in my head throughout the week, the, the plan was to, to come in here and throw it to Kane and let Kane talk about Tuesday and uh, because he was at the game on Tuesday, but uh, Ben Joyce uh, said, no, not so fast. You're, you're going to talk about me first. So we're going to talk about this Wednesday game first, and then we'll throw it to Kaner and let him talk about this Tuesday Tuesday game. But uh, in Tennessee's 16 to win, 16 to one win over UNC Asheville on Wednesday, Kaner, Ben Joyce comes in and we all knew, at least those who keep up with the Tennessee baseball program, that this kid just throws absolute gas and he wasn't all that known outside of Knoxville coming back from Tommy John uh, signed with Tennessee out of Walter state. He's a Knoxville native. I'm I'm kind of going in reverse order, but he was a Knoxville native is a Knoxville native played at Farragut high school signed with Walter state out of high school. uh, One of the top 100 players in the country, according to perfect game, they had him ranked at, at number 81, not quite sure why he went to Walter state, but he ended up there and pitched there in 2019 and 2020. He gets to Tennessee in 2021, a.k.a. last season. And in the fall prior to last season, in I guess it would be October of 2020, he hurts his arm. He has Tommy John later that month. He misses the entire season in which Tennessee goes to Omaha. He comes back this fall. He's generating buzz. Spring rolls around January, February. He's impressing there. We don't really see him opening weekend against Georgia Southern last weekend. He threw two pitches on Sunday when in when the game was already a blowout. He his first pitch was a 100 mile an hour fastball. Then he came back and I, I'm not sure what the pitch was, but uh, the hitter rolled over and it was a, a swinging bunt. Came in with two outs in the inning, and that was all that you saw from him because he is working back from Tommy John. But then Wednesday rolls around and he gets a full inning of work and i mean fresh out of the pen caner this dude is just pumping absolute gas 100 101 102 103 i counted 103 on the on the video board four times in one inning like it was nothing and not only was it 103 but i had somebody close to the program after the game send me a photo of their official radar gun behind the netting, behind home plate, and it registered one one pitch as 104. 
He threw a pitch 104 miles an hour. He did give up one hit. One of those UNC Asheville hitters got lucky, was laid on a fastball and, and, and lined it into to right field for a double. But uh, he was ultra impressive. And there was a cool stat this morning from Codify Baseball. And they said that last MLB regular season, uh, the one in which the Braves won the World Series, the, the 2021 MLB regular season and postseason, there were 720, 637,000 pitches thrown. And the fastest pitch last year in Major League Baseball, regular season or postseason, was 103.4. And Ben Joyce comes in in his second appearance off of Tommy John and just grooves a 104-mile-an-hour fastball. What kind of specimen is Tony Vitello dealing with this year? Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's a great weapon to have. Obviously you sit them there in the back end of your bullpen, you come in, you need a, need a stopper. You need to come in and, and shut some, you get in that bases loaded or, you know, runners of the corners, one out type situation. I mean, this is a guy that can come in there and just, just blow right past people. And so it was very impressive what he did on Wednesday against UNC Asheville. Uh, again, I mean, 101, 102, 103, one of those that probably actually 104. I think, I read somewhere or saw somewhere that he had what eight pitches that went over 100 miles per hour. I mean, it was ju- just incredible. And so, I mean, we, you know, we're we're in a day and age now, baseball, to where you know, it, throwing 100 is not that impressive. I still think it's freaking impressive because I mean, Hardest everybody thing to do in sports hit a yeah. hit hit a fastball going that fast. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got one. You know, mo- most major league teams have one that you know in their bullpen or in their rotation or something. But still, for someone to be throwing that consistent at the college level. Small sample size, I get it, but uh, very, very impressive. And he certainly was, to your point, the talk of of just the baseball world last night and uh, on into uh, Thursday morning. Yes, he he is certainly <laughs> that, ch- cha- that changeup was at ninety miles an hour. I mean that that's yes. what uh that's what Drew Bre- uh, Beam's fastball was on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's a ninety ninety one. That's a changeup. I know his, his changeup is faster than Redmond Walsh's fastball. <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible. The official count was 10 pitches of 101 or more. Yeah, 10 pitches incredible. of 101 or I shortchanged more. Them. I said a yeah. I shortchanged him. I know. I know you you you're you weren't giving him his full credit, Kaner. Shame on you. Uh but it, it is a small sample size. That is a good point and uh, you can hear the excitement in, in my voice and and just how in awe I am of the performance. But I also do recognize that, hey, it was against UNC Asheville, and UNC Asheville is a terrible baseball team. So you you do take it with a grain of salt, but I I firmly believe in in buying all the stock in the world in Ben Joyce. I I will be surprised if he does not pan out during SEC play. I'll say it right now, Thursday, February 24th, 12.02 p.m., Tennessee's only played four and a half baseball games. They haven't played any legitimate competition. Georgia Southern, somewhat legitimate, but uh, not not an SEC team or a Power Five team for that matter. That big, big, big win on Tuesday night. They did. They did upset uh, number 19, Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the score off the top of my head, but they did win. It was like 11 to 6 or, or something like that. Very yeah. nice win for uh, the Eagles of, of Georgia Southern. So I recognize that that Ben Joyce has yet to do it against a a Texas, Oklahoma or Baylor. Like he'll have the opportunity to do next weekend or an sec team. But I, I, again, I'm saying it Thursday, February 24th, he's going to be one of the most dominant pitchers in college baseball. And the reason I believe so 
isn't the fastball. It's the changeup that you mentioned and also the slider. I, I was more impressed with the changeup and the slider than I was the fastball. And part of it was because I already knew that his fastball was what it was. Uh, we had talked on the pod a couple of weeks ago, our, our season preview pod about how in a bullpen prior to the season, he touched 103. And I guess the thing that surprised me about the fastball was just how routinely he did it. I wasn't expecting him to do it as often as he did touching 103, 104. But I I didn't know his slider and, and changeup had that much potential. And that's why I think he's going to prove to be one of the most dominant pitchers, not only in the SEC, but in the country, and he's going to earn himself a lot of money because that slider, the, the one that I saw, it, it wasn't a strike. He, he didn't have command of it, but the break on that thing was just absolutely filthy. And, and so I, the, I go ahead. I was going to say, just think about the break too. Not only that, but you'll throw him with that velo, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a left-handed hitter and you throw that slider that hard with that, that sharp of a break, I mean, it's, it's coming right at you. It looks like, and it's breaking late. Right. And then if you're a righty, I mean, that's just, just tailing away. I mean, it's almost an impossible, you know, uh, pitch to hit, you know, whenever you're throwing it with that much velo behind it as well. So my main concern is, and of course you can give us more information on this, but I mean, the dude is, he is coming back from Tommy John surgery. And so you don't want to overdo it. I mean, he's not going to pitch a lot of innings, obviously, but I would assume it's, I mean, he's going to be run out there and pitch a lot, but like, you know, he's obviously not going to be stretched out or anything, but just throwing that hard coming off that severe of an injury. But we see it every year now. I mean, you know, used to the ACL would be, you know, season, you know, career over for a football player. Tommy John was a career ender for, you know, a pitcher. Now it's just kind of a, a little hiccup in the road and, and guys come back and they're stronger than ever. And hopefully that's the case for Ben Joyce. Hopefully he doesn't overdo it this early on, but man, uh, he's, he's going to be fun to watch for sure. Yeah. But that, that slider and that changeup is why I have belief that he's going to be one of the most dominant pitchers in the country because that, that break was filthy. And, and the more mm-hmm. he, he throws it, the more, command he'll have of it and that changeup was even better than the slider it had great movement it looked just like his fastball and just drops off a table and is 10 to 14 miles per hour slower and it, it, he is going to fool so many hitters this year because they're going to be selling out to hit the fastball trying yeah. to load up and, and <laughs> catch up to that fastball and then he breaks that slider off on them breaks off that changeup, and and there's going to be some hitters that look really filthy. So the changeup in the slider is why I feel confident in, in saying what I am saying, despite him not doing it against legitimate competition yet, and him building himself back up from Tommy John. And I think that's the question, kind of what his role is going to be. It's going to be much different than the Sean Hunley role or, or Camden Sewell role. Uh, th- those styles of pitchers serve different purposes and everybody's been saying well surely he's going to be your closer why well, I don't think that your Tennessee's necessarily going to have a closer they haven't really under Tony Vitello I mean they, they've got a handful of guys that they really trust and they will deploy those guys at, at any point uh, Redmond you should has- your quote-unquote closer if you come on and there's a huge situation in the eighth, throw them then. If there's a huge situation in the seventh, throw them then. It doesn't have to be the ninth. That's why I hate the prototypical, you know, as I do my air quotes here, closer role where you just, you're going to be relied on in the ninth to come in and to preserve a three run lead, if that, and get your three outs. No, I mean, if the situation arises, throw them in the seventh or the eighth. So I, th- I, I like you think that that's kind of how Ben Joyce might be used. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say is that Redmond Walsh, same way. Uh, he, he has, He's only seven saves away 
from tying Todd Helton for the most career saves in Tennessee's history. But I, I still don't even view him as a closer. If if it's sixth, seventh, eighth inning and it's a lefty-lefty matchup and runners on the corner and the game on the line, Tony Vitello is going to the pin to get Redmond Walsh. And Ben mm-hmm. Joyce will be used in that same manner. Camden Sewell, uh, Seth Halverson, when he gets back uh, from, from injury, I think Kirby Connell has a, a lot of trust from the coaches. Uh, so you, you're going to see that from several different guys. And they're just going to piece it together. That, that's the best way to describe it. Now, the difference is Camden Sewell can stretch it out and go several innings. Seth Alverson, same deal. Uh, Redmond Walsh, Kirby Connell. That That's the difference between Ben Joyce and the rest of those guys is he's a, a one-inning guy, maybe a, an extra hitter or two the next inning. I, I don't mm-hmm. see him being stretched out all that often uh, unless they absolutely have to. And I do think you'll see him slowly ramp up. I, I believe if, if everything goes according to plan and, and he stays healthy, I think by the time we get to, to SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, I, I think they'll be willing to push him two innings at a time when, when he appears. But until then, you're going to see a gradual increase. You're not going to see him for more than an inning until SEC play. And then even still, I think it'll still be an inning at a time. And then them maybe dabble kind of it. it expanding him here and there i think he's a one-inning guy yeah i mean i would agree with that and and again you don't have to push it right now too again it's not like i mean you know we'll we'll see you know what the overall record is heading into sec play obviously you got a huge tournament coming up at minute maid park or not tournament but you got some huge a huge weekend coming up in minute maid park and so you're going to see some good competition everything but there's no there's no reason to try to rush it in in here before SEC play. And even once SEC play gets in here, just continue that gradual build, that gradual build, because you, know, you want him come tournament time. You want him in those big-time situations, come the playoffs, hopefully when you're hosting a regional or maybe a super regional again, and you need two innings, you know, throw your guy out there. So no reason to rush it right now and just continue to, to, to be impressed. Hopefully we'll see a couple more um, appearances like we saw yesterday of him, you know, topping out at 104 and hitting over 100 10 times because that was that was truly awesome yes that that is going to be my my prediction uh as we get the season underway is that uh ben joyce is going to prove to be one of the most dominant pitchers in college baseball which makes sense because his name is ben and all bens are great at everything we do uh so that's (laughs) that that's the the big storyline from the midweek games there are a couple of other things i want to touch on uh, the, the next thing that I wanted to bring up is Trey Lipscomb playing shortstop. I, I knew this was certainly a possibility going into the year, and I asked Tony Vitello after Wednesday's game if, if this was kind of a, a one-game experiment or if he can, can see Trey playing shortstop permanently. And I was asking because it's my belief if, if Trey can stick at shortstop, then that opens up a lot for the lineup. Cortland Lawson, who started opening day at shortstop, he was very efficient in the fall and coming into the season. He was very consistent. He, he's a great fielder. but And this is nothing against him, but Trey Lipscomb sliding over to shortstop opens up third base for Logan Chambers to slide in and, and get his bat in the lineup consistently. And if he's playing third, that opens up left field. To, to slide in Seth Stevenson or slide in Kyle Booker. And if those guys are, are playing left field and, and one's DHing, then that also opens up the DH spot for a Christian Moore, who we saw him hit his first career home run 
on Wednesday, it was an absolute bomb. And you just immediately saw the, the, the natural talent from him in his first career start and why so many people have been talking about him. So uh, with, with Chambers playing third, Booker or Stevenson playing left, that could open up the DH spot for for Christian Moore or for another freshman, Blake Burke, who has similar natural skills that, that are just absolutely unbelievable and, and can hit just as well as Christian Moore. So nothing against Cortland Lawson, but Trey Lipscomb sliding over the shortstop allows a trickle-down effect to, to get better bats in the lineup. And if, if this is something that could work permanently, I, I think this is a big development for Tennessee. Yeah, and think about it. What, what were some of the biggest questions we had coming in, you know, on our on our first couple of podcasts coming into the season? You know, who was going to take over in left field? Who was going to take over at second base? Who was going to, you know, that left side of the infield? You felt good about Trey Lipscomb, but, you know, kind of who else? And allowing, as you're pointing out, Lipscomb to move to short, if that could be a sticking point or even an option on the line. You know, maybe maybe he sees some innings, you know, a couple innings every weekend. Maybe he starts a game at shortstop. Uh, you know, once every weekend, eventually maybe he moves over and that that's his spot. It opens things up like you're mentioning, because again, so far through four games in the season, four and a half left field, you've had four different starters designated hitter. You've had four different starters. Now, second base, we thought was going to be that same way, but uh, Ortega's just taken and ran with, and he's been playing fantastic. So obviously trying to figure some things out in left field. If you figure some things out, it's short with Lipscomb. Like you said, you move you know, Stevenson over or Chambers over, whoever over to third base, and that allows more guys to get into the lineup. So um, obviously Tennessee's still trying to figure out some of those positions. Second base looks like it's pretty locked down right now. Of course, everything can change. But that lineup versatility um, is always, always welcomed um, you know, on, on a baseball team because, again, it just gives more opportunities and a chance to um, put more pop in your lineup. And Tennessee certainly doesn't have a shortage of pop. And even guys who aren't in the lineup, you know, coming off the bench or you know, making defensive substitutions late in games, uh, Tennessee's not, not searching for you know, any, any help too far down that bench because they have so many options right now. I think you're spot on. And I also thought that Tony Vitello's uh, quote after the game about Trey Lipscomb. I'm, I'm sure you you saw his quote, and I want to get your reaction. Uh, I, when I asked him about Trey Lipscomb playing shortstop, he said the guy can play the position just as well as he can third. He can also play on the right side too, but he's one of the better left-side infielders in the country. I, I thought that was very telling that, yes, Trey Lipscomb's going to play some shortstop moving forward. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, right? I mean, that's coming from the head ball coach, and – if he thinks he's one of the best defensive players on that side of the infield in the entire country, that leads me to believe that he's not just a one position, one position type player. And so this is something I would expect moving forward. And, and especially the, the, the way things play out, right? I mean, if, um, you know, if Tennessee settles in on somebody and, it, 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 you know, it, it, you move Lipscomb over to shorts, settle in somebody at, at either third or left field, that opens up another spot for a DH. And so this is such a good problem to have early in the season for Tennessee as you're still trying to figure yourself out. Yes, so th those were the two main things that I took away from, from Wednesday's game. Uh, just some other house-cleaning notes uh, aside from Ben Joyce being dominant and Trey Lipscomb moving to, to shortstop. Uh, it was a home run derby as Tennessee won 16-1. to Tennessee hit five home runs. Uh, Jordan Beck mm -hmm. hit the first home run of the game, his first of the season uh, in the first inning, a, a solo shot to left. Mentioned that Christian Moore hit his first career homer in the second inning. It was a two-run shot to deep left center. 
Uh, Trey Lipscomb also hit a homer. It was his second of the season. And Luke Lipsius hit his first home run of the season. And Trey Lipscomb and Luke Lipsius actually went back to back there in the third inning. So, so that and was let's not see. forget, sorry to cut you off. Lipsius had a home run on Tuesday's game that is not official right now. And he nearly had another one. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. But, um, you know, out, out of there in right field. And then his next AB in the following inning, straightaway center, the ball carried, 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 got to the warning track and then just died. So he nearly had a two homer game. Um, in that game that is yet to be completed. Yes, and he nearly had a, a two-homer game last night uh, as well on Wednesday because he also had a deep sack fly to, to left field right at the warning track, so nearly hit a second home run on, on Wednesday as well as he did Tuesday. Uh, last thing from, from Wednesday, and also want to mention what uh, Tony Vitello said about Christian Moore. I, I guess I'll do that now before I talk about Xander Seacrest, uh, but when he was asked about Christian Moore, Tony Vitello said he sees the ball as well as any hitter we have on our team as far as what's balls and strikes, where to hit the baseball, what's going on with the spin and all those things. He's competitive and gifted in that area. So uh, pretty pretty loud comments from, from Tony V on Christian Moore. And he also talked about how uh, Christian Moore does let the umpire maybe get the best of him at times when he doesn't agree with a call or, or whatever and maybe gets too emotional but um and, and funny enough christian moore has uh an attitude at the plate and, and sometimes doesn't like balls and strikes and then the home run that he hit that that was just an absolute uh bomb i i can't remember Sam. here's it's a, a bomb uh, it was a piss missile uh, out the deep left center uh, that was 105 miles per hour off the bat and traveled 405 feet and he was getting payback on the umpire because it landed on the windshield of an umpire's car. <laughs> so uh, awesome. that, that, that was that was pretty ironic. But uh, pitching was just as as good outside of Ben Joyce as well. Uh, the Ben Joyce storyline kind of uh, made everybody forget about the the other lefties that debuted kind of and also impressed Andrew Seacrest. Uh, he started and was very impressive. He picked up the win in his first career start. Uh, three scoreless innings, struck out seven, and all seven were in a row. He didn't allow a hit in just one walk in those three innings. Freshman lefties Wyatt Evans and Gavin Brasowski. They also got in. Uh, Evans pitched a scoreless fourth, and Brasowski did as well uh, in the fifth, I believe it was, and uh, he looked good, although he did have two walks, so it's kind of a mixed bag there. Sophomore lefty Jake Fitzgibbons uh, was even more impressive than those two, striking out two in a scoreless seventh inning, so uh, pretty ho-hum afternoon for the Vols against the, a bad UNC Asheville team. It wasn't as ho-hum on Tuesday when Tennessee took on Tennessee Tech, however. Yeah, uh, one, one more quick note on Christian Moore that I, I like. I mean, of course, the bulk of this came yesterday, of course, but uh, you know, one for two, the homer, you know, two runs driven in, three walks too. And that goes back to what Tony Vitello said. I mean, he's just a freshman, but, you know, uh, you know, one of the guys that sees the ball just about as good as anybody on the team. I think that three walks already here in the early season, two yesterday, um, kind of kind of goes to, to back that up here in the early going. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, Tuesday, again, the game is not official. Uh, the stats should not be reflected in the season stats, and I don't believe they are right now. Uh, the game is essentially on hold. Um, we'll have to see if it's going to be made up. Have you heard anything more on that? I mean, it sounds like it should just be you finish this game, play the second game on April 12th at Smoky Stadium, right? That, that's what it sounds like they're going to try to do. Yeah, I mean, that that, that makes the most sense. It, it's fortunate that these two teams do uh, link up 
uh, here on this side of the States <laughs> um, later in the season as well. So you can kind of complete that, but you know, it, it started off, uh, of course you had, um, you know, Hollis Fanning that gave up three runs in the, in the top of the first inning and you thought you might be in for a long game. Um, I thought he kind of battled back and, you know, try to try to, you know, settle down a little bit. He gave up three in that first inning, went back out and got two, two more outs in the second before going to the bullpen. Um, did have three strikeouts, only faced 10 batters, but, uh, you know, Ethan Smith coming on and we were kind of going back and forth in the, uh, in, in the thread there, you know, didn't look that impressive at first, but then he got rolling. I mean, he faced 11 batters had six strikeouts and I thought he was working his pitches very, very well. And he was working at a quick pace too, because he knew the rain was coming. I mean, it was starting to come down and he was continuing to work into that fifth inning. He was getting frustrated because the, the hitters would step out of the box, try to mess up his timing. But you know, overall, I thought it was a decent day for Ethan Smith. He goes three innings, goes up three hits, that one run. It was that solo shot at the top of the fifth. He did have six strikeouts. Love the way he was working his pacing. Again, I'll be interested to see if he goes that fast on a sunny day or if he was just trying to go that fast in order to you know, try to try to beat the rain. But I thought Ethan Smith looked overall pretty well, though he did give up that solo home run. But the big story, the big takeaway from me, Ben, in this game was two out routes. OK, so you give up three runs in the top of the first inning. Tennessee comes back to bat in the bottom of the first. And it all starts with a single, you know, from uh, Trey Lipscomb to bring in. Uh, Drew Gilbert to get him on the board there. Actually, that was a two-run single. Jordan Beck scored as well. Ortega tripled uh, the uh, the next go-around to bring in a run. And just like that, Tennessee was tied. It was 3-3. Three to three. You go on, you had two more in the second inning, again with two outs. You had Lipsius' home run that I referenced earlier, and then Lipscomb again doubles and uh, you know brings Jordan Beck into score. So love the timely hitting for Tennessee in this game that's not been completed yet, all with two outs. And I thought Ethan Smith looked overall sharp in a game that uh, was one out away from becoming official. Let me just say, first of all, they started the game in this pouring down raining. I understand Tennessee has a turf field, but come on. If you can't see the ball and you look at the radar, I thought it was silly to start that game. Second of all, literally one out away. And again, it was coming down. I'm not, I'm not saying that it should have been. I mean, it was coming down, but you're one out away. How in the world are you going to send these two teams to the dugouts when you're one out away? So, um, Hey, midweek college baseball for you. But uh, overall, it looked like ten t Tennessee got some good work in on Tuesday, and they'll probably try to complete that game there on April the 12th. Yeah, that, and that, that'll be kind of cool. Uh, you, you get more than just one game at a smoky stadium. You, you, you get a game and a half, so uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. And Ethan Smith, I, I think he's on the verge of, of earning one of the, the top spots in, in the bullpen. Uh, I, I I am starting to believe that this, as crazy as it sounds, because Tennessee's pitching staff was so good last year, Kane. I'm starting to think that this this pitching staff is going to be even deeper <laughs> than last year. Yeah, I mean they've got. I mean I, I'm just doing math off the top of my head, but I, I think if we sat here and listed it all out, I mean they've got six, seven, eight guys that can come out of the bullpen and be really, really effective, and that's on top of Chase Burns. Chase Dolander, Blake mm -hmm. Tidwell starting games. And it's funny, everybody was waiting on a certain name to pitch. You finally pitched yesterday. Um, you know, who's going to be counted on, you would think, that so far this season, McLaughlin as well. But no, Tennessee Tennessee has so many options uh, in that bullpen and that staff. I would agree with you. Um, again, it, it's, it's so important to remember this is such an early sample size. Everything's going to get tougher in SEC play, but that's weeks away right now. Um, it's a good situation to be in for sure. And uh, we saw a lot of those arms go into, into, well, 
one game and a half here in the midweek action. <laughs> yeah, and those arms will get plenty of action this weekend because uh, Iona is not going to be much competition. It, it should be like UNC Asheville all over again. Uh, let, let me just point out right here, here in the early going. I mean, you're you're four games in, you know, officially, and uh, you've mentioned, you know, we talked at nauseum about you know, Chase Burns and Doe Lander from over the weekend, and then of course Ben Joyce here in this one. I, you know, t- tip the cap to Trey Lipscomb. I've been so impressed with him so far. We talked about the versatility. You know, starting three games at third, starting at short yesterday, and um, you know what he can do defensively. He's got the one error so far for Tennessee that it came in that game on Saturday when uh, it was uh, essentially it was a ground ball that he should have just had and just went went right under his glove. But uh, he's good defensively. I've been really impressed with him at the plate. And again, this guy that stuck around, he's he's put in the work, and now it's it's paying off for him in a big way. And he's going to be key to Tennessee's lineup, both you know in the batting order, of course, and the defensive lineup in terms of that flexibility. But and then you know Ortega, I mean, goodness gracious, I, I don't think anybody really you know penciled him in to to be a, the guy right now. But when you get an opportunity, you run with it. He's Five of ten on the season, a pair of home runs, driven in five runs. That's uh, tied for second on the team. He scored five runs. He's walked three times. He's singing about as well as anybody. And his home runs, they have been shots as well. So getting barrel on the bat, you know, working the counts, being patient. Been really, really impressed with a pair of uh, veterans for Tennessee and Trey Lipscomb and uh, Jarrell Ortega. That's a good transition to our next topic almost as if you should uh, do radio throughout the day or, or host the podcast for a living there, Kane. But I, I did mention on our recap podcast on Sunday that on our Thursday pod, a.k.a. the one that we're doing right now, uh, because Iona is not much of uh, competition for Tennessee this upcoming weekend, I, I thought it would be good to, to go through the roster and, and give initial thoughts on, on some newcomers and those, those were the two that I wanted to start with. And, and we're not going to list every single person uh, because we'll be sitting here all day if we do. And, and I think we're mm-hmm. going to go position by position in, instead and, and give some initial thoughts on that position. Uh, if we do not mention somebody that you would like for us to discuss, just let us know. And uh, on Sunday, when, when we react to the weekend, we will discuss – uh, that person, but we'll try to hit as many players as we can as we go position by position. But I do want to start. We'll, we'll go ahead and start with with third base and, and second base, so we can start with Trey Lipscomb and Jarrell Ortega specifically. They they are awesome, awesome stories. Uh, in addition to to them kind of stepping up and uh, producing early on, Trey Lipscomb sat behind Jake Rucker for two years and could have transferred and didn't. He he waited his turn. And now he's seen the fruits to his labor and it looks like he is going to have a, a really, really good season. Now, um, I, I will say that throughout his career, he has always hit this type of competition really well. The Georgia Southerns and the UNC Ashfields and, and Tennessee Techs, he's, he's always produced against that competition. I Now I want to see him produce against Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma next weekend. Yeah. Uh, producing SEC play. And the same is said for Jarrell Ortega as well. But it's a really cool story, them waiting their turn, uh, Trey Lipscomb specifically, and they're producing early on. And, and as we talked about earlier, if Trey Lipscomb slides on over to shortstop and and is even more productive or as productive, then, then that's going to be big for the lineup. Jarrell Ortega's had to go through even more adversity. Uh, he, he was – 
the talk of the town when he signed. Tennessee was just over the moon happy when when he got to campus, and that was he red. He's a redshirt sophomore, so uh, I, I think he was a freshman the COVID year, and even though he was a true freshman that year, he was going to have to sit out all that season because he had some type of surgery to, to his elbow. Maybe not Tommy John, but uh, another significant uh, surgery that kept him out after he had lit the word on fire during fall ball going into his true freshman season, which was that COVID-shortened season. And the past two years since since then, you hadn't really seen, or just last year, I guess it was, you, you, you didn't really see what the coaches were discussing when you saw him on the field, but now you absolutely see it. The, the Jarrell Ortega that has shown up these first couple of games is the Jarrell Ortega that the coaches thought that they were getting back when they signed him. And he wasn't even supposed to start on opening day last weekend. Christian Moore, it sounds like was going to start, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Christian Moore did not play in Friday or Saturday. I, I think there's a reason he did not play Friday, Saturday, and then got to pinch hit uh, against Georgia Southern on Sunday. So with with Moore not being able to play and not because of injury, Jarrell Ortega kind of gets a surprise start, and all he does is hit hit bombs and hit just absolute missiles left and right. And he's he's taking the opportunity and run with it, and he he's looked tremendous. So. Uh, for me personally, Jarrell Ortega and Trey Lipscomb so far is is the feel-good story of the team. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's it's kind of like opportunities run with it. And, of course, it, it's kind of different. Ortega's doing that. Lipscomb was always going to be a starter over there on the left side of the infield, but good to see him, you know, at the plates doing as well as he's doing and, of course, you know, making plays both at, at third and shortstop. So uh, intrigued to see how much both of these guys can keep up. Um but here in the early going up, at least until next weekend, you, you, you like the chances of them continuing to light things up. And just a couple of other guys worth mentioning at third and, and second. I think Logan Chambers is your backup third baseman, or he's going to be your starting third baseman if if Trey Lipscomb moves the shortstop. Uh, if Trey does not move the shortstop and stays at third, then I think you could see Logan Chambers either start in left field or start – uh, as the DH, uh, regardless, he's going to start somewhere every single game, whether it's left, DH, third, second, first. Logan Chambers will always be in the lineup. His, his average doesn't necessarily reflect it just yet, but all he does is hit, and he's going to be one of Tennessee's better hitters. So he'll play a ton. And then the other two worth mentioning at second, we've already talked about Christian Moore. I think he will re receive plenty of at-bats. If Ortega starts to struggle, comes back down to earth and, and struggles, I wouldn't be surprised to see Christian Moore slide in there and yep. take the job and run with it. Obviously, Moore will also get some DH at-bats, which you saw against UNC Asheville on Wednesday. Uh, and then Logan Steenstra. Right now, it kind of feels like Logan Steenstra is the odd man out. Steenstra can hit, and, and I think he's pretty good defensively, uh, although he had some tough times last year. Uh, he can also play short. He can play first. He could also DH but I do think he's kind of the odd man out behind of the guys that we just talked about. Yep, I would agree. I mean, especially the way that Christian Moore swinging the bat, the way he's seeing the ball, uh, the start that Ortega uh, is off to. But I mean, you know, for for uh, you know Steenstra's case, it's good that that he's you know that ultimate utility can play pretty much any position on the infield. Helps you can play first base as well in that role. So 
you know, when injuries happen, because unfortunately injuries will happen when slumps happen, that's baseball, right? There's going to be ample opportunity for him to get, try to try to steal some, some ABs because yeah, I would agree. Like right now he's kind of on the outside looking in. Yeah. And, and with Cortland Lawson at shortstop, please don't get it twisted. I, I don't want to write him off at shortstop just because Trey Lipscomb started one midweek game at short, but I, I do think he's going to have to prove that he can swing the bat. I, I think he may be your, your best defensive shortstop and he certainly appeared to be during opening weekend and he's just going to have to swing the bat and he did during the fall he did leading up to the season uh, now he's just going to have to do it in game so I, I don't want to completely shut the door on Cortland Lawson uh, but uh, essentially if, if he's going to remain the starting shortstop or, or take hold of the position he's simply just going to have to swing the bat because there's not much of a defensive drop off from him to Trey Lipscomb and if Trey's hitting the way that he is as we talked about with the trickle-down effect, it, it allow better hitters than Cortland to get into the lineup. Yeah, for sure. I, I would agree that he's the better defensive option as well because from you know from the little I've seen, you know the the one and a half games that I've been out there covering. I mean, he's looking. He's been the guy out there every time. He's he's looking sharp, making the plays. Um, but again, if you're not, if there's that versatility there, and if there's a guy that's got experience over there at short and Trey Lipscomb and there's someone else that's swinging the bat that needs to be getting more ABs. That's an easy decision to make if you're Tony Botello. So I would agree with you better defensive shortstop. Um, I do think that he can swing and he does have pop in that bat, but uh, until you start seeing it on a consistent basis, the Lipscomb experience at shortstop could be, you know, more than just a one game thing. And, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully that is a, a, a thing because I do think that your best lineup would be with him playing shortstop. And at first base, I mean, it's it's Luke Lipsius. We all know know this. And, Kane, I don't know about you, but these first couple of games, he looks even better this year. He, he looks He's looked really good these first couple of games. Uh, his bugaboo last year was hitting lefties. And he's already shown pop off the lefties. He hit a homer off a lefty yesterday. And I think he hit a homer off a lefty uh, against Tennessee Tech. It just hasn't officially counted yet because, as Kane illustrated, that game is still suspended. Uh, but yep. he's, he's hit – may, no, it wasn't a homer. It was a double to the deep right center gap off a, a lefty that Luke hit. Uh, but he's he's hitting lefties the first couple of games. Last night he stole third, and, and then the ball rolled into the dugout of UNC Asheville, and he, and he took home. So uh, Luke Lipsius, he, he's going to be your starter, and I think he's looked even better to kind of start the year. And, and Blake Burke is the backup first baseman, and uh, he hasn't been talked about as much as Christian Moore, but in my mind – He's equally as talented of a freshman as Christian Moore, and he he is the future of first base. He can play a little right field, could DH. He's going to get some at-bats this season. He, he's too talented not to get at-bats. Yeah, there's just not that opportunity there in the lineup like there is at second base at times. Because, I mean, yeah, you know, Luke's not going anywhere. Seeing the ball well. Um, you got versatility, uh, you know, where you can put him in the lineup, too. I know – uh, for the for the majority of the season so far in the early going, he's kind of been hitting that two hole a little bit. I think I, I love I love that bat the two hole. Um, but now he's he's seeing the ball really really well right now. And I mean again, and and that game that wasn't complete on Tuesday, gosh, he hit some hard. E even that out to deep center field was it was a nice stroke on the ball, and his home run was a no doubter. So uh, he's looking good so far to start the season. And if you can get consistent, you know, play from him in that spot, or you can slide him down, I, I think that's a great thing for Tennessee. What have been your initial impressions on the catching? Uh, Evan Russell, his first game behind the dish. Charlie Taylor, 
the redshirt freshman has asserted himself after Sunday's game, has asserted himself as the backup catcher, I should say. And then after Sunday's game, after Jared Dickey uh, got in there, uh, Tony Vitello raved about him after Sunday's game and, and said along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, but said along the lines that, hey, we, we've got a, a three-catcher rotation, and we, we feel comfortable with Jared Dickey behind the plate, and he's kind of asserted himself uh, back there. So uh, maybe you don't have that top-end talent uh, like a Connor Pavoloni in terms of fielding uh, behind the plate, but to me, Evan Russell has looked plenty serviceable, and Charlie Taylor looked looked good. Jared Dickey's looked good, and, and both have looked good with the bat in their hands. What, what's been kind of your initial impressions on Tennessee's catching situation? I mean, yeah, it's been fine. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not overwhelmingly, you know, feeling great about it. Uh, again, we, we talked about it on the last podcast. I, just a concern for me is, you know, teams seeing Evan Daniels or gosh, I do that all the time. Seeing Evan Russell back there, <laughs> seeing Evan Russell back there, and just trying to pick him off on the base pass. And I understand that, you know, teams don't run an awful lot. I get that, but I mean, that can always change. And it, it wasn't a huge issue in the opening weekend. But it was at times. I mean, you know, there was a, a guy that stole from uh, uh, from uh, who did Tennessee play last weekend? Um, Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. Yeah, I was there. Um, you know, just took third standing, and, and the, the, there's no throw down there and stuff like that. So, uh, and a lot of that again is not just on Russell; it's on the pitchers as well. But I think the more he gets comfortable back there behind the plate and live ball settings, I think that will improve. But I mean, he's a guy you got to have in the lineup, and so I, I completely understand that. But you know, it's been fine. Uh, not overly impressed, but at least Tennessee does have some options there. But yeah, there's. Uh, no dispute about it. Who who your guy is back there, and that's that's Evan Russell, as it should be. Yeah, he he's been what I thought he would be. Not a guy that's going to flash the glove or or win a Gold Glove award, um, but also not a guy that's just going to not be able to catch the baseball uh, yeah. in in transitioning from from left field. So hopefully, as he he becomes more and more comfortable, he'll be able to throw out more and more base runners. So that that's something to keep mm -hmm. an eye on. But certainly. A fair concern out in left field, right field and center field are, are pretty much settled. They're set. They're set. Uh, yeah. But in, in left field, we, we talked about Logan Steenstra being the odd man out in the infield. Uh, Cortland Lawson, maybe in the near future, is the odd man out. We'll, we'll have to just kind of pay attention to that storyline with potentially Trey Lipscomb moving the shortstop. In left field, I, I'm starting to think that if, if Kyle Booker doesn't start to hit the baseball, he's going to be the odd man out in the outfield. Yeah, uh, again, there's been four games, four official games, four different starters. You know, Scott's gotten a start, Chambers gotten a start, Stevenson's gotten a start, Booker's gotten a start, and of course, you know, Stevenson's looked really, really good. Um, you know, so far the early going as well. Kyle Booker had a pretty decent weekend, but overall, um, yeah, had a really good game on Saturday. Uh, just one for eight on the year. Uh, driven in three runs, but you're exactly right. If he doesn't start picking up the pace, he could be seeing fewer and fewer um, at-bats moving forward because, again, Tennessee's kind of had some options. Um, I I'm interested to see how this next weekend series goes if Tennessee continues to you know, put a different guy out there every single day, or do we maybe see a guy get back-to-back -back starts in left field and see if there's any continuity there? That's kind of the storyline I'm, I'm kind of following, but Again, the, the way Booker swung the bat at times last weekend makes you feel pretty good. You just need to see it more on a consistent basis. Exactly. It's exactly that. And we kind of touched about talked about Kyle Booker 
uh, before mm-hmm. the season and how Tony Vitello would like to see it more in practice. But when the lights come on, he just seems to produce. I, I think Seth Stevenson has been Tennessee's best left fielder to this point, better than Chambers, yeah, better than Booker. Uh, I think because of his speed, he is the best defensive left fielder, uh, along with Christian Scott. I just don't see Christian Scott manning a, a starting position out there in the outfield, but maybe he'll prove me wrong. Uh, he, he's a great kid. I, I hope that he, he finds a lot of playing time this year. I, I just don't think – like his, his floor – I hope this makes sense. His floor is higher than some of the, the other guys who could play left field, but his ceiling is not – the, the ceiling of a Kyle Booker, Seth Stevenson, Logan Chambers, if that makes if that makes sense. So um, I think Seth Stevenson has has looked the best. And again, I mean, I think it would do wonders for the lineup if if Trey moves a short, Chambers takes third, Chambers and, then, third yeah. and then Stevenson out and, and left that that opens up a lot. in in my opinion, we'll see if the bats uh, allow Tony to do that. But uh, it is wild that he's been the best left fielder so far because he was a, an infielder It is an infielder and. <laughs> Like just recently, they threw him out there in the outfield and, and he's kind of taken it and, and run with it. And man, he's shown the pop in the bat. He, he's got the speed. Uh, Tennessee may have an electric leadoff hitter on his hands. Yeah. Uh, two, you know, no, four of eight on the year, two home runs, tied for the team lead with RBI, scored six times. Yeah. Uh, that, that is definitely an issue to have up there at the top of the lineup, whether he's playing left, whether he's getting the start as a designated hitter. Um, I'm with you. I, I think he's looked really, really good so far. And you try to find him more consistent bats. Again, that opens up another spot. Say if he finds a home at left field moving forward, then that opens up the designated hitter spot for you know one of these young guys, maybe Christian Moore on one day. Maybe, you know, if if you know Ortega gets gets lapped at second, maybe Ortega. I mean, it just continues to open up so many more spots. And again, we there's so many, you know, questions coming into the season. The more they play, the more those questions are going to be answered. The more you know, we're going to find guys kind of finding some homes. But it looks like he's certainly finding a spot there in left field. He looks good out there. Which is why I think Kyle Booker better pick it up. Yeah, uh, not, exactly. not saying that he's not saying that he's looked bad. I don't think that he's looked bad. I, I just have been that impressed with Seth Stevenson and, and Logan Chambers. He, I said it earlier. He's going to hit no matter where he is in the lineup. And then I, I also have confidence when Christian Scott's in there. Uh, honestly do. I mean, he, he's even showed the pop here early mm-hmm. on and he's a great fielder. I, I just kind of think he's your fourth outfielder, a guy that can play right, a guy that can play center, a guy that can play left. Uh, he can pinch run. Um, he, he can show the power. He can hit for contact. I, I just think he's a, a solid baseball player that can kind of do anything that you ask him to. And we mentioned Chu Gilbert has center field locked down. Jordan Beck has right field locked down. Any, any early thoughts on, on what you've seen from those two? See, they've gone a combined 10 for 28 so far. <laughs> Two home good? runs, one of which is a grand slam. They combined for 11 runs driven in, and they scored seven times. Yeah, I think you'll take that in, in four complete games. Now, hey, Drew Gilbert, that was so exciting on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I tweeted out as I'm doing the thread, and I'm, I'm tweeting some of them out. I said, you know, so-and-so walks. Forgot who it was. And uh, Drew Gilbert comes up with the bases loaded. And, like, three people went back and quoted that tweet and said, how'd that work out? He did it again. Uh, no, it's they, they've both been they started the season off exactly what you'd expect and what you want if you're a Tennessee fan. And, you know, two guys that kind of anger that lineup uh, doing what they do. Yes, a- absolutely. And Drew Gilbert has looked like Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck's been even better than he was yeah. last year. He mm-hmm. and you can he doesn't necessarily have 
I don't know that he has an opposite field hit. I think he has one. Um, so you haven't really been able to tell with where the ball has landed per se, but you can tell he's got a different approach. He, he's not trying to hit a home run every time he's up there. His approach looks so great at the plate. He, he's laying off breaking balls. He's hitting breaking balls. He's he's going the other way with pitches. He, he's turning on pitches that he should turn on. He's showing the power. He's hitting for contact. He looks really good. He he's he looks great in the field. Uh, there's not going to be a single time this year where where he catches a fly ball and the hat does not come off because of the flow that he's got rocking back there. Uh, and he's got a cannon of an arm. He has great speed. I, I, I truly think that he could have an All-American type season and, and end up being a first-round pick, uh, as we have mentioned here uh, on the pod as well. And, and speaking of Beck's arm, I want to go back to Logan Chambers. How about that throw from left field that he had? What was it, Tuesday against Tennessee yeah. Tech? Yeah, on the money, on the money. I mean, it, it, it was it was a rope. And that's that's two outfield putouts that I've seen so far this year. Um Gosh, I guess it was uh, – no, it was Booker. It was Booker on Saturday, I believe, uh, that had the rope from, from shallow left field. So, already you're seeing outfielders being active. And uh, to, uh, to to Russell both times, you know, hanging in there, applying the tag. Uh, I mean, just all the way around. Again, I know it's the competition. I get all that. And I know it's just been four and a half games. But, gosh, I mean, Tennessee in every area of a baseball team – it's kind of clicking on all cylinders. It's been really, really fun so far to watch. And, and Ben, I think it's going to be the same way this weekend because Ion is just not a very good ba- uh, baseball team. They're not. They are. They're not at all. At all. And uh, what was funny about you saying that they're kind of clicking on all cylinders is that their, their pitching staff is is missing its best arm and one of its best arms, <laughs> not yeah. even uh, fully healthy. I, I don't really feel like we need to go through the pitching staff. I, I feel like we recap them. Mm-hmm. Uh, opening weekend pretty well. Uh, if you missed Sunday's reaction pod to sweeping Georgia Southern, encourage you to go back and, and find that and, and listen. It's in the Swain event, Apple feed. It's in the Swain event, SoundCloud feed. It's also in the VolQuest SoundCloud feed and uh, Apple feed for VolQuest as, as well. And I've certainly tweeted it. Eric shared it. It's on the it's on the GQ if you scroll back far enough. So uh, we did – I felt like we broke down the, the starting rotation pretty good on that pod. And, and even today we broke down uh, the relievers quite a bit. And we mentioned that we both feel like as, as good as the pitching staff was last year, Eric, if you have any other thoughts on the pitching staff, it, it's it's even deeper and it has even more potential this year. Yeah, I would say more potential without a doubt. So far, it's it, it certainly looks deeper, right? So uh, I'm really, really excited to see all these guys go to work. And again, I mean, my, you know, my, uh, my guy kind of to watch right here is, uh, again, it's, it's Ethan Smith. I mean, he, I'm, I'm intrigued to see. I think he's going to get a ton of work. I mean, he got a ton of work on Tuesday and I mean, he looked really, really good. You know, he struck out two or three in a row one time, um, you know, with that pace He's struggled with his command at times as well. He gave up, you know, gave up a hit, walked a couple um, already so far this season in just limited time. But then other times he looks dominant. So, uh, again, such a short sample size, but I- I'm intrigued to see exactly what his role is going to be um, in this bullpen because I think he can be versatile as well. I think he can come in and get a couple of guys out. I think he can go three innings for you. Um, and, and again, all those things, that versatility, again, great things to have. And so, um, bullpens look good, staffs look great. Um, you know, except for the, the, the you know, two midweek starts um, or one midweek start, at least from a Hollis fanning. Um, but it's all look good so far. And I, I think that, that uh, those good times will continue this weekend. A couple quick notes on Iona. 
before we get out of here, Tennessee hosts Iona in a three-game series this weekend at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. They'll play Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, and Chase Burns is the projected starter per Tennessee's game notes. Uh, so Chase Burns will be making his second career start uh, Friday afternoon at Lindsey Nelson Stadium tomorrow afternoon. Hard to believe it's already Thursday. I know. Uh, Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, first pitch. Chase Dolander will be making his first career start as at least he's the projected starter in Tennessee's game notes. And then on Sunday, uh, the series finale, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, no listed starter. Drew Beam got the start on Sunday, but uh, in the game notes, it says TBA, to be announced so we will see uh, who gets the start for tennessee on sunday said last week too so yes and i i would think that they go back with drew bean but it, it's early in the year who knows what they decide to do for iona who is and three uh right hander paul sullivan will start friday against chase burns he's and one with a 2.08 era on saturday against chase dolander Lefty Blake Helmstetter will get the start. He's 0-1 with a 7.04 ERA. And then on Sunday, Iona does have a projected starting pitcher, although Tennessee does not. Righty Nick Chiaia, I don't know, uh, 0-1 with an 18 ERA. At 18 ERA, tough start to the season. Eric, Iona is, is not good. I mean, it's as simple as that. This past weekend, they played Old Dominion at Old Dominion on the road in Norfolk, Virginia. Friday, it looked okay. They lost two to four. They only lost by two on Friday. But on Saturday and Sunday, these scores are just absolutely hideous. On Saturday, Iona lost 24 to nothing. How do you lose 24 to nothing in baseball? Goodness. And then on Sunday, they lost 19 to one. 24 to nothing on Saturday, 19 to one on Sunday. So Eric, not, not going to be a whole lot of competition for the balls this weekend. Going to be uh, very much of uh, a UNC Asheville type of field midweek field to this weekend. Uh, despite that though, mm -hmm. what, what is one thing that you'd like to see from Tennessee this weekend or, or you think, uh, or you're just simply interested in seeing this weekend? Yeah, real quick, without looking at the box scores for, uh, <laughs> for Iona, it, it kind of tells me that their one is, is decent, right? I mean, for two game, I know it was the, opening day but i would assume he didn't go too far but you know pretty decent holding it there but after you get their best shot got no pen got no got two and three starters and that lineup's just abysmal so goodness gracious that, that's awful uh things i'm looking forward to this weekend uh, just continuing uh you know what's going on right now um you got a baseball team that's just inferior in every single uh, area <laughs> um just take care of business uh, continue to see the ball hit the ball well pitch well I'm intrigued to see how Chase Burns looks again for his second career start. Um, can we get any more stability in left field? Uh, can we see Lipscomb play any more shorts? I'm intrigued to see that. How long can Ortega keep this up at second base? Those are kind of some things that I'm continuing to look forward to this weekend against a, a very bad baseball team. I'm with you. I, I Those are the same things I'm interested in seeing. Does uh, Trey Lipscomb play any more shortstop? Mm -hmm. what, what does Cortland Lawson do this weekend? Uh, how much does Christian Moore play? Does Jarrell Ortega continue his his hot start? How do those names in left field shake out? That that how we Booker, mentioned. Does he pick it up at all? Yes, exactly. How how does Evan Russell look behind the plate for another weekend? And uh, pitching, 
it's weird because Chase Burns and Chase Dolander are technically newcomers. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'll be interested to see them in, in their second career starts at Tennessee. But it, it's more of an excitement to see them, not a, not an intrigued uh, mindset going into them. But I'm intrigued to kind of see the pitchers who haven't pitched a ton that we don't know as much about how they continue to pitch um, guys that aren't at the top of the 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 totem pole when you think about the bullpen. Those guys who could potentially carve out a role like Mark McLaughlin not pitching until Wednesday was surprising. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't do himself any favors by giving up a home run to the first guy he faced to break up the show. Ruining the shutout. So it's yeah. kind of guys like Mark McLaughlin and the pitching staff, uh, Xander Seacrest, who looked good, um, Hollis Fanning, you know, guys like that. Drew Beam again. Th- those are the guys that I'm really intrigued to see. So uh, I don't think we're going to learn much about Tennessee this weekend. Uh, just make it out healthy <laughs> it yeah. is the big thing because ne- next weekend's the big week. Uh, even ETSU next Tuesday for for its midweek game. ETSU does not like Tennessee, and Tennessee does not like ETSU. So that'll be intriguing. And then off to Houston for Texas on Friday, Baylor on Saturday, and Oklahoma on Sunday. Should be a fun weekend of baseball. Eric, you'll be there Saturday to cover the game because baseball getting going at 1 p.m. on Saturday leads us right into a massive game at Thompson Bowling Arena with Bruce Pearl and Auburn coming to town. We'll be all over the GQ with baseball coverage all weekend long. But Saturday, how can people follow you and your coverage of the game? Yeah, of course, I'll be uh, at the GQ with that game day thread. So you can follow me there um, and on Twitter at underscore Kaner. Continual uh, updates, score updates, what I think about the game, all that and more at underscore Kaner on Twitter. Perfect. Be sure to follow Kaner on Twitter and be sure to listen to the Locked on Vols podcast. Where can people find My that? God. My God, look at you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, support me, support the wedding that I have to pay for here at the end of the year. <laughs> Locked on Vols podcast. Anywhere you get your audio podcast, you know, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, Odyssey, all that. Plus, it's on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Just search Locked on Vols. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, and support the child that I'm going to have in July by subscribing to VolQuest, please, or telling yes. businesses to uh, advertise with the Swain event or this podcast. Uh, e- either one works, but uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Diamond Vols podcast. Always appreciate your ears. You likely found this on your own, but uh, if for some reason you stumbled upon this on Twitter and need to know where you can find it permanently, you can find it in the Apple podcast and SoundCloud podcast stream on either VolQuest or the Swain event. So many ways you can find it. And of course, Eric and I will share it on our social media accounts. For Eric Kane, I am Ben McKee. We'll be back with you Sunday afternoon.